Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. Today, my guest is Ted Diamond, who has uh, been an Alexander Technique teacher for almost 35 years, and he is the founder and director of the Diamond Institute in New York City. He's also an adjunct professor at Teachers College, Columbia University. He's written numerous books about the Alexander Technique, and he has a special interest in uh, how Alexander, F. Matthias Alexander, the founder of the technique, how his discoveries um, can be helpful for child development. Uh, Ted, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Robert. It's a pleasure talking to you. Um, before we get into the topic, at hand, could you give our listeners a short description or definition of the Alexander Technique? Well, a very simple definition that I sometimes like to use is that the Alexander Technique is a way of looking at how we do things and identifying what we do to interfere with how our bodies naturally work when we do things. That's a really simple definition. Right, and the, the, those interferences are things that we might pick up as children or imitating adults. or There are a lot of ways to acquire bad habits, I guess, is the, the human condition, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I think so. And the Alexander Technique is about identifying those and, and helping to let go of them. So I know you have the, a special interest in childhood development and I know from talking to you before we began this conversation that y you don't think that it's always useful to just take an Alexander teacher and put him, put him or her in a classroom full of kids. Uh, there are, you think there's some problems with that. On the other hand, you do believe that F. Matthias Alexander's discoveries could be very helpful for child for child children's development. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I, I years ago, I was working in the classroom, and I guess uh, um, this was in Boston where I lived for years, um, and I was doing some work with the kids with the teacher that invited me to come in, and other teachers who were viewing what we did saw the work that we were doing as sort of remedial work, like physical therapy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you can't blame them because when you look at uh, someone doing Alexander work directly with kids, it looks like you're doing something like physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And the problem with this is if you're trying to introduce the real meat of Alexander's work into the classroom – it needs more than practitioners who go into the classroom because they're seen as remedial kind of therapists. So mm -hmm. part of what I got interested in early on was to find ways of not only working directly with kids, because that's, of course, important, but also of introducing the, the ideas behind Alexander's work into our understanding of child development. So we're not just bringing teachers into the classroom to help kids who have problems but introducing the ideas at a more essential level to look at how the child's use 
is, in fact, an essential part of their development. And maybe it would be good um, when you say the ch child's use. Um, that's um, uh, an Alexander technique phrase. Could you could you just say a little bit more about that for our listeners? Well, you know, in the same way that we recognize that a that a child uh, um, functions cognitively or has an emotional life, and rec now recognize that those are important aspects of a child's development, a child also has a, a sensory motor system, and mm -hmm. everything the child does, it brings that sensory motor system to bear. And the ch when, when I use that sort of, um, that lingo use, it really refers to the working of the child's sensory motor system in all his or her activities. And that use can, can be compromised through various... Uh events in the child's life and what I think it sounds like what you're saying is that at least as a start it would be good if educators and I suppose parents as well understood that concept and so th so they might be alert to misuse patterns would that be, yeah would that be a fair statement yeah because uh, because for the most part with particularly with normal children, we don't, rec we all, particularly mothers, but we all recognize that kids use themselves, that they're very active, they're motor creatures, you know, particularly in, in early childhood, you, you, you see a, kids just physically, they learn and explore the world through movement. Mm -hmm. And yet that, and yet we don't recognize that in a sense as a legitimate aspect of child development. I mean, even in Piaget or other cognitive theories, the motor aspect of functioning is seen as a kind of um, um, vehicle for learning, not as a thing in its own right. And what one thing that I'm trying to do is, ident is to identify how that system works as an actual, tangible, meaningful aspect of child development. So... And would another way of saying that be that most people sort of take that part of what children do for granted? And yes. Do, and don't yeah. really take a closer look at is it being done well or not so well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's unless your unless your child is exhibiting. Um, symptoms that we would consider to be clinically abnormal, mm -hmm. for the most part, we ignore this aspect of functioning. Right. And, yet the, right. and yet the vast majority of children are having trouble with this uh, area. Mm -hmm. The vast majority. So <clears throat> if the solution is not to simply uh, bring Alexander t teachers into the classroom, uh, wh what what do you see as the best way to bring about awareness of this and create resources to help children? Well, one approach I've had, which I just think has been sort of um, not, you know, not given enough attention is, is sort of to in introduce some of the ideas, not just bottom up in a sense, you know, by coming directly into the classroom to work with kids or parents or, to, or introduce the ideas directly in the classroom, but also to work top down and introduce the ideas in the field of education mm -hmm. so that, 
you know, if you if you're looking at a child's cognitive development, you don't just bring a cognitive person into the classroom to, to identify kids who need help, but you also train teachers and, you know, alert people in the field to the fact that there is cognition, that this is an aspect of development that needs uh, to be studied and looked at. So that's one thing I do is, you know, I've introduced a couple of courses at Teachers College at Columbia where I teach master's level course, uh, you know, students and also now have a doctoral student that we're doing research where we look at and examine this aspect of child development so that people are aware that it, that it's there. They don't, I mean, for the most part, we're not even yet aware that it is an aspect of child development. Right. And of course, um, uh, teachers college, um, at Columbia was also the home of John Dewey in his day. And, uh, John Dewey, uh, was a very famous American philosopher and educator who was also a student and proponent of Alexander's work. Do you find when you're approaching people there now, today, many years later, are they aware of that connection? Does it mean anything to them? What's the situation with that? Almost no one is aware of it. Of course, there are so many scholars, professors who know about John Dewey. Some of them know John Dewey's work quite profoundly, but virtually no one is aware of the connection. So we've sort of reintroduced that and re- remind people that this is something that was really foundational to Dewey's philosophy and needs to be looked at and was sort of ignored in his time, even though uh, Dewey himself was so influential and even though Alexander was actively giving lessons to professors at Teachers College in, uh, you know, in the 40s, let's say. Right, and I believe, uh, I mean, John Dewey, numerous occasions said very powerful things about Alexander's work. I think he said that Alexander's work was to education what education is to life or something like that. I mean, very, very strong statement. So, um, and is the idea then that by getting these ideas out to the sort of the uh, university level academic tr- people who train teachers that then teacher teacher classroom teachers will absorb it and bring it into the classroom I mean, what's what's the model of how this would uh, as it were trickle down to to the children well one one thing i'd like to see happen is not simply you know in a general way to make teachers aware of it but actually to <clears throat> one um, at the Diamond Institute, we actually have a, a person studying full-time in, the, in Alexander's work who's a doctoral student at Teachers College. So she's both, um, in, in a sense, doing the bottom-up and, and, or will be doing the bottom-up and the top-down work mm-hmm. where we'll, we'll be doing work with kids in the classroom, but at the same time doing research and scholarship in the field. And that isn't just um, alerting other people to the fact that this work exists because how can they really introduce it without expertise? It's actually creating a program that could lead to other teachers being trained in this work Mm -hmm. uh, who can work with kids who are experts in this field, just as we have people who are cognitive experts uh, in that field. Mm -hmm. So we're actually trying to develop a program 
And that would be my ideal scenario is to actually develop a program where people are studying this in depth, getting degrees in both Alexander's work and uh, and and at the academic level. So they're not just, uh, you know, remedial experts coming into the classroom, but real experts in an aspect of child development that's beginning, that begins to get recognized as being important. Right. Well, and we've talked about youth, Alexander's term youth, but there are some other basic principles of his work uh, that I, I'm, I'm, I believe you, you would argue are useful for for teachers and parents and children to absorb. One is um, the idea of the means whereby principle is sometimes called. Could you say a little about that and how that fits in with what you're talking about? Yeah, the, 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 of course, the means whereby principle is the, 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 uh, the principle of paying attention not just to what the child is trying to accomplish, but to how they, how they accomplish it. And those of us who are aware, as you are, you know, of this subject, we know that um, in general, uh, children and adults are trained often in methods that are direct ways of accomplishing their ends. And mm -hmm. we're trying to we're one of the things that uh, attention to this uh, aspect of child development means is to is to give kids an opportunity to pay attention to themselves as the foundation for whatever they're actually trying to accomplish in the classroom. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the classroom itself um, is often kind of based on principles that are run counter to the means whereby principle, so that an appreciation for this subject means not only helping children uh, approach tasks differently, but help the whole approach in education to shift so that there's more focus on how rather than what. Could you give an example of how the, the basic structure of a typical classroom um, kind of leads people in the opposite direction than Alexander's means whereby principle? Yeah, so if uh, children are learning to write, mm -hmm. instead of just teaching them the, the specifics of how to control the movements of the pen or how to produce letters, mm -hmm. um, more time is spent attending to the the child's use of his or her actual system as the foundation for forming letters. So more time is given to the child's own system as the basis for specific activities that they're engaging in. So it's very practical with writing because you can get kids actually spending time in, uh, before they begin an activity like writing, mm -hmm. actually doing some, some, as we call it, body thinking. Mm -hmm. where they're paying attention to themselves and allowed to do that and encouraged to do that rather than, you know, um, aim directly for their ends. So, I mean, just as an example, if, uh, if a child's writing or some other activity they're doing s doesn't seem up to par, as it were, by the teacher, um, the, the, the remedy would not be for the child to spend more time on it or stay after school, but to t to take a look at what the child is actually doing coordination-wise and see if there are ways that the child can change that coordination, right? Yes, exactly. And and that uh, that 
that brings kind of brings me to another sort of essential idea, which is that we don't even recognize that the child um, in the classroom has a coordination or a, or a system that can be badly or well coordinated. So one thing that again that we're studying in another part of the model that I've developed is is to look at, Alexander used the word primary control, but to look at the child's actual working system to identify how it works so that even before the child is seen to have problems writing, we're looking at whether the child is well-coordinated mm-hmm. and, and introducing that as a general principle in, in child development so that we, we look at all kids, including normal kids, including kids that we don't think have any specific clinical issues, to look at this and recognize that it needs to be addressed as part of normal, healthful child development. And so would you say that if everything you wanted to happen in the field of education happened, that a typical uh, classroom teacher would have developed a bit of an eye for quality of movement? And would see, oh, this this kid is putting someone that is is perhaps hunching their shoulders up when they go to write or tightening their necks, that kind of thing. Is, yeah, it, or and yes. parents and parents as well, hopefully, right? Yeah, and parents and and because the teacher the, and the teacher would be aware of it because uh, they're because in the same way that they've you know let's say read about cognitive development they've read about the child's use the child's sensory motor you know um or psychophysical development they recognize it as something that's an important that rec- that constitutes an important aspect of development so they don't have to be experts in it but they have to be aware that it is an an important aspect of things yeah, and and at the same time, there there needs I think there needs to be people who are experts in it, who are either consultants or are helping to shape curriculum and and look at uh, you know the, the the look at the way the curriculum is put together and the way the kids are taught. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't we don't have any of that happening. Um, and you know, one thing I want to mention about that is that when you when you just introduce Alexander principles into the classroom, none of this happens because, as I said earlier, the public or other teachers or the educators would see this as just remedial. Um, we, what I think we need to do is to identify first and foremost the, the, the discoveries that the principles are based on so that we recognize that there's an aspect of development that needs to be addressed and then we care about the principles. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the principles are just seen as something that we might use here and there because they're needed, rather than, uh, rather than recognizing an aspect of child development that's crucial. Mm-hmm. And the the irony, the funny thing is that a lot of um, in the educational field, a lot of mothers I mentioned earlier, a lot of mothers are very intuitively aware of this mm-hmm. because. They know that their kids are moving machines, you know, they learn by moving. And this is really foundational to any, to early childhood. Uh, It's a foundational part of how they develop, but we have no way of monitoring it so that often by the age, sort of transitional point, by the age of four or five, kids are starting to lose something 
And mothers often know it, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And in a way, we're trying to put our finger on it and say, what is that that kids have that's so important that somehow seems to go wrong even in normal children that we need to address here? And that, that's, what, that's what this is about. And, and again, that happens at the top down and the bottom up level, both in the classroom and at the level of child theory and scholarship and research. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of as an example, um, and in one of Alexander's books, he talks about uh, parents uh, looking for a nanny for their children, and they they look around and find the cheapest one they can get. Uh, they don't um, necessarily pay any attention to how that person uses their own body, their own physical mechanism. And of course, the child, if, the, if back in those days, I guess children were spent a lot of time with their nannies and would obviously pick up habits of posture and movement from them. And I think today people are much more picky about um, caretakers in terms of criminal records and that kind of thing. But I'm not sure that today that idea of how does the caretaker sit, stand, and move, is that is, they don't really necessarily take that into account. And that, I think that's just an example of not being aware of what it is that that brings about the, the deterioration you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't, yeah. Yeah. yeah you wouldn't have a, chi- a, a child. You wouldn't want someone caring for your children who doesn't engage them in discussion and perhaps can't read to them or you'd right. want them to be, you know, have, uh, yeah, have be, be literate and, and thoughtful or be sensitive to how the child learns emotionally sensitive and yet, when it comes to this subject, we're pretty much, you know, um, just unaware of it. it you know? Really, p- pretty much completely unaware of it, in, in, yeah. in my experience. Yeah. Um, we're getting kind of at towards the end of our time frame here. Is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't talked about? The only thing I would add is that, um, just just to sort of round out the idea of, of uh, what this area is in a child's development, I, I think it's important to mention that when we look at a child's motor system, because that's a big part of this, we're mm-hmm. also looking at its um, the corresponding mental functions that go with it. In other words, we're looking at psychophysical functioning, and I right. think that's important to mention. And I'd be happy to talk about it again if you wanted to go further into this, but um, you know, because there are several other pieces Mm-hmm. That could be discussed, but um, just wanted to mention that part of it. Okay, uh, maybe we should do a part two on that topic. What do you think? Be happy, be happy to. Okay, so let's end this uh, conversation. Um, my uh, guest today has been Ted Diamond, an Alexander Technique teacher, uh, the founder and director of the Diamond Institute in New York City, and. Um, I'll put a link to the Diamond Institute by the interview as well as a link to a site where you can learn more about the Alexander Technique in general. Ted, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Robert. Appreciate it.